Continuing our study of the omniscience of God, we now look to some of the ideas that have been prevalent in the Church of Christ and ask this question, what do we know about the influence of philosophy on the Church's concept of the omniscience and being of God in the light of the Bible? In our consideration of what we know, apart from biblical revelation, we pondered the yearnings of our minds as expressed by the psalmist, Give me understanding, and I shall live. We concluded that a God who had manifested such amazing plans in the creation of the universe and man would certainly provide man with an authoritative information on the whole scheme and relation of things. These many explanations from God would have to be in language that man could understand. Then we faced the promises, remarkable history, and claims of the Bible, and saw that it was a unique book, and gave every evidence of fulfilling the longing expectations of our minds for truth. Happily, therefore, we came to its pages, and have been reading from the treasures, the mysteries concerning the Godhead. We are entirely dependent upon its revelations for our knowledge of the details of the unseen world. It is our source book. To it alone must we look. So the apostolic church of Christ regarded the Bible and its truth. However, as we look back in the annals of church history, we see other influences entering in. Socrates has been regarded as the parent of philosophy. He gave impetus to a spirit of inquiry and a method of searching for truth during the last part of the 5th century B.C. His pupil Plato worked out a philosophy under his influence nearly 400 years before apostolic times and his work had been carried on by Aristotle, his pupil of twenty years. Greek philosophy was known by some of the leaders in the early church, particularly the Apostle Paul, who was raised in Gentile surroundings. Nevertheless, he wrote that he determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, as we read in 1 Corinthians 2.2. This is another way of saying that he had fully decided to stay with biblical truth as centered in the death of Jesus for the sins of the whole world. This is exactly where the Church of Christ should always have remained. God knew what he was doing when he gave us the Bible, and therefore its revelation should be enough. Paul rejoiced in the concept that in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3. He wrote this in the confines of a prison toward the close of his ardent ministry. In his extensive contact with Greek philosophy, it was in no sense to be given a place alongside the revealed treasures of God. Philosophers said many noble truths, it is true. Nevertheless, under influence of the Old Testament writings, apparently, but they also hatched out many theories and therefore could not be looked to for final authority. 
the Bible, with its New Testament books coming forth from their inspired penmen, could. And this is what the Apostolic Church did. Its enemies once said, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, as in Acts 17.6. It must have been the simple biblical concept of truth, as energized by the Holy Spirit, that was responsible for this phenomenal result, even as Jesus said, The truth shall make you free. Why was not the church satisfied to remain in this simple understanding of divine things? The theological confusion of the church must ever remain the mystery of the ages. A paralysis and impotence set in, which has largely prevailed down through the annals of church history to our day. But the Bible was given with the intention of being plainly understood. The New Testament was written in the colloquial Greek of the common people, not in the classical Greek of the scholars. The most obvious meaning is the one intended. God proposes to teach us spiritual truth, not to withhold from us these concepts which he wishes us to know. We are not, therefore, to become mysterious and give long, complicated interpretations of plain statements from the Bible, God's Word. Long commentaries on simple assertions are certainly uncalled for and unnecessary. God's plain word should be enough. Deductions of common sense were to be relied upon. For example, Paul made an all-inclusive statement in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, concerning the matter of repentance. Let us read it, for example. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. The fact that God now commands all men everywhere to repent, and this he is said to do in righteousness, should forever settle the matter of the freedom of man's will. Man is able of himself to repent, or God would not have commanded him to on the pain of eternal death. What endless complications would have been spared in the last millennium and a half if this had been heeded? If God commands all men to repent, common sense indicates that such a God of goodness, wisdom, and kindness would certainly not ask man to do what he is unable to do and would let the matter rest there in the matter of simple statement. The early church fathers began to give too much attention to the realm of philosophy. The word philosophy simply means the love of wisdom and is generally applied to those who investigate the facts and principles of reality and of human nature from a human intellectual point of view. It is basically then an elevation of the human mind to the place of supreme authority. And the human mind has generally endeavored to go beyond what man is capable of comprehending. It endeavors to place theory on top of theory 
and thus deduce the mysteries of the unknown. The Apostle Paul wrote a good word of warning about the maneuvers of philosophy in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Beware, he wrote, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Here then we have the warning that such maneuverings of the mind with the authority of the mind only would certainly lead us astray. But some of the succeeding leaders in the following century did not heed this warning very well. Justin the Martyr, for example, who lived about 100 to 165 A.D., was an enthusiastic admirer of Plato before his conversion. And while he regarded his newfound faith in Christ as supreme, he regarded Platonism as a preliminary stage to Christianity. He doubtless exerted an influence in favor of the philosophical approach, even though he may not have gotten very far afield himself. Clement of Alexandria, who lived about 150 to 220 A.D., called philosophy a sort of preliminary discipline for those who lived before the coming of Christ. Perhaps we may say it was given to the Greeks with the special object, for philosophy was to the Greeks what the law was to the Jews, a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. Errors and corruptions began to creep into the church more and more. It has been written by one concerning Platonism as follows. There are many imperfections in Platonism. Its low idea of sin, its notion of matter as the origin of evil, its ignorance of atonement and grace, its frequent tone of uncertainty, and so forth. But its excellencies are many and great. But the whole sum and substance of the concept and approach of philosophy is that the authority of truth rests in the deductions of men's minds, not in the plain and obvious revelations of Scripture as the Word of God. Origen of Alexandria, that great church leader who lived somewhere around 185 to 254 A.D., issued about A.D. 250 the first systematic treatise of Christian theology. He sought to create, with the aid of philosophy of his day, a science of Christian doctrine whose systematic structure would be equal to the systems of the philosophers. He certainly greatly furthered the trend of theological speculation and has been considered to be an error on several important doctrinal points, particularly on the person of Christ and his speculations on the Trinity. He developed the allegorical form of interpretation at great length with all its vagueness, or that system of interpretation that regards scriptural statements as involving mysterious meanings rather than plainly stated facts. This opened the door to almost any sort of visionary interpretations and certainly led to an endless search for hidden meanings rather 
than the acceptance of the most obvious meanings of scriptural truth. And so we have seen that in the early centuries, the leaders were not satisfied to rest in the simple concept of truth as expressed in the Bible concerning the nature of God and concerning the omniscience or the knowledge of God. Thus was laid the foundation or the approach of future departures of a greater magnitude. May we return to the simple statements of the Word of God concerning the great mysteries of the unknown. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee that Thou hast given us the rock of truth, the Bible. We thank Thee that it was written with the intention of being plainly understood, that it was not purposed to place before man a great realm of mystery for him to spend his whole life peering into to try to discover hidden meanings. But Thou, O God, hast given us a plain statement concerning thyself and thy wonderful person. Oh, may many this day repent of every sin that's offensive to thee, come to the cross of Jesus Christ, and find pardon and peace and restoration to thy glorious fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.